sick for a while uh we've had some girl drama uh <laughs> we were automatically not <laughs> going to talk about that and yet it has been mentioned i just <laughs> it, it had to be mentioned we both had some girl drama you like talking about stuff i don't like talking about stuff but we're not going to talk about it at all uh but we are here walking through the minefields what is up you minefielders um minefielders dude you know what let's do talk about that do you want to do you want to take a minute on that uh, you know, uh, I will. Uh, it's funny because we've been calling you MFers and I'm still a little bit torn on it. But uh, every now and then, um, my dad will hit me with some knowledge. And I was doing some laundry at the house. And, you know, you shouldn't have to curse so much in your podcast. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> and, he's like, <laughs> and he's like, and I'm like, you listen? And he's like, you listen to Star Trek? Because my dad liked Star Trek back in the day. And he's like, I listen to a few. You don't have to curse so much. Be a little bit more articulate. Got a college degree, you don't call them MFers. I'm like, well, it just kind of came out, <laughs> just kind of came out organically. And I was thinking about how uh, Mark Marin calls uh, his uh, listeners to his uh, WTF podcast, the uh, What the Fuckers. And, and so I thought it was kind of cool. It came out organically. It wasn't a copy, but at the same time, it was kind of close. So we're going to figure out what the hell to call you without cursing and doing our best to articulate our words and not using ums and ahs. And hopefully, uh, we, because he, he made a good point, like, you know, it turns some people off, you know. You might think. Oh, that it some, really does. You, you might think that they, you know, may have long hair and, you know, dress the type of person that is okay with hearing cursing all the time. And I don't know. We're we're gonna clean some. We're gonna clean up the potty mouth a little bit. But uh, obviously, uh, if we're talking about wrestling, some things might come out, or if we get a little too excited. So we're gonna do our best. Yeah, I really appreciate hearing that from anybody, especially a, a guy that is our dad's age I, I i'm super thrilled that the dad's listening to the show at all yeah and, uh, me too man I, I, that's the best and probably some of the i mean i we we say it all the time you know send us email send us something and if you're not getting a hold of us in one way find another way to get a hold of us mm-hmm. uh because I, I feedback is just a huge deal and if we know that there's something you guys want to talk more about and you know We'll, we'll mention it. It's a big deal to have people who are uh, consecutive listeners. And, uh, right, right, and I, and I really appreciate it. I I, yeah. I did too, especially because he approached me in a, a very adult way and wasn't talking down to me. So, Dad, if uh, you're listening, I heard you loud and clear, and you you're right, and it's on copy. So you can play you can play it over and over as much as you want. <laughs> you're right. I was wrong. Um, the funny, the weirdest thing along the lines of that that I I heard this week was uh, at some point I was driving to one place or another for work and um, they were somebody on NPR 
was I, th- I think they were Trump supporters that they were talking to on NPR and Joe Host was saying, you know, you, you've got this, that, and the other about Trump that you you appreciate, but, you know, what is it that you can justify mm-hmm. from him after this, after he said that, whatever, and they were saying, you know, it just doesn't matter because these are the, these are the things that make sense to me as a, a, a topical voter or a, uh, uh, what is the word? A, uh, um, I think you know what I mean. I know what like you mean. Like when you, when you, uh, one, once you're voting for one thing, you know, it's, I'm an issue, one issue voter or whatever. Right. It's, you can't do that. It, it, I don't know. I just doesn't, it just doesn't seem like being an appropriate but, but, uh, member of our electing body. But what they got to was, you know, he what he talked about with ladies' bodies and stuff like that. And then they're saying, well, people don't like that he's not presidential. It's like, well, when does that actually have to be a requisite for who you're voting for? And the, the comment, the show host immediately just said, I want a president who my eight-year-old child can appreciate and understand. And it just kind of hit me. I, I thought that makes a lot of sense because there are things that people do. It's just like the show, title of that show. There's things that we do in the dark, yeah, that don't need to don't need to be in the light of the public, let alone the light of day. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, man. Because there's some things, whether you're a Trump supporter or not, that you simply don't want to have to explain to your child, uh, regardless of, oh, man. of how of how uh, progressive you are. Or, how you treat your kid as an adult, even though he's a child. I mean, that's neither here nor there, but some, it, it would be nice. I remember the other day I was having a discussion with some people at work and I was saying that I wish I had lived in a time, even though I'm happy to be alive in our times now, uh, where we, I wish I'd lived in a time where we were the cut and blue, black and white, good guys. We have Eisenhower in the, in the office and he's, a true blue war hero knows what he's doing. Uh, we're in a time of economic prosperity, uh, even though it was because of the war. But e- even then, you can just go back and say because we're I talking know. about we're talking about superheroes all the time, and like we we had just emerged from an age where we had just defeated a true blue died in the rough supervillain with stormtroopers and nuclear secrets and 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 mad scientists and world domination and. And the world could end, <laughs> and now we're 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 doing something good, and now everything is is a little bit well, very much muddled. But at the same time, though, we're living in a global environment, and it, I think I think one of the main problems right now is that people have a really hard time adjusting to a global society, which I agree. Yeah, it's it's not just us and not knowing what the Chinese are doing, or no, no, things are. Uh, you can talk to someone far away, you know, uh, to joke on the cable guy, you know, play Mortal Kombat with a friend in Vietnam. I could really do that on my PS4 right now, <laughs> uh, right now. Um, but we're getting a little beside ourselves, and I, I like the fact that we're starting with supervillains, uh, especially uh, end-all, be-all ones, because we have to yeah. talk about Doctor Doom. We do. Let me just say, uh, that's a beautiful segue, and let me just segue, uh, I guess I'm, I'm going to drop a hint for later in the conversation. The, the topic of conversation that we've been hitting is pretty much all my son and I talked about today. Oh, let's hear it. Um, no, no, I mean, I, I want to save it for later in the, in the show. Uh, but I just, you know, that's something to stick around for. 
the concept of supervillains and what kind of historical precedent things have set across time, especially in this century, and how we got there. And it all stems from a particular book series he's reading. But uh, we'll come back to that. Doctor Doom, you're right. What an excellent villain character. I read I read it also. Doctor Doom number one. Uh, writer Christopher, Christopher Cantwell, artist mm-hmm. Salvatore La Rocha, color artist Drew FX, letter VCs Corey Pettit, cover through by cover by APA. Uh, but oh, but real quick before we get into Doctor Doom, mm, here's our here, here's our list real quick. Spider Man number two, X Men number one, Batman Nightfall, Tales from the Multiverse first um, number one. Absolute Corners number four, Guardians of the Galaxy number 10, Doctor Doom number one, we're back to talk about, Justice League number 34, Archie number 708, Star Trek Year 5 number 6, and Cobra Kai, The Karate Kid Saga Continues. Now back to superheroes. So um, mm-hmm. this this one absolutely deserves a synopsis because we're not going to just do synopsises anymore. We're going to brush on things that are good, but touch on the things that are uh, even more relevant. Uh, the Earthicans, <laughs> other than Latveria, have figured out a way to create a moon base that has a black hole <laughs> that is going to somehow siphon all of the carbon that we are creating and reduce the Earth's temperature naturally using this black hole. And on television, there are some news anchors going back and forth about the pros and cons with it. And uh, one of the talking, screaming heads is Dr. Doom and is saying, mm-hmm. yeah. And he he's it was so funny, him being the the... Sane voice in the room. Yeah, let's build a black hole. Let's create a black hole on the moon. That's a good idea. Um, <laughs> and, and they're like, but you know that th- things things can go really well. He's like, no, this is a terrible idea. This like my cal- by my calculations, this is going to be catastrophic. And they they do it anyway. And as the Earth gets gradually cleaner, Doom is <sighs> he's brooding. He's brooding, and he's trying to figure out a way to deal with this, while at the same time having to figure out how to handle the fact that Kang the Conqueror just shows up. Yes, which is that was maybe my favorite thing. That is a if if you are a true blue, uh, Mary Marvel marching, uh, card carrying, <laughs> um, member, you know that the <laughs> That's a lot the appearance of Kang the Conqueror out of nowhere is. Uh, I would rather the Brood show up. <laughs> I would rather anyone show up, Galactus, than Kang. Because Galactus is at least a singular entity that we can at least figure out some way to stop, convince, to leave, um, destroy. But Kang... You can usually trick Galactus into getting lost, I think. Yeah, but Kang, like, when he's like, wait, where am I? Like, what? What? Like, hold on a second. Like, you're asking me questions I don't know the answers to because I don't know what timeline I'm in right now. Is this the one where this happens? Like, uh, I don't know. And Doom is just, he's sitting, and I love the fact that he's sitting at his desk scribing in, in, in cursive. He's Exactly. Yeah. Pen and paper. Pe- pen and paper. I do love the fact that he's got a very loyal uh, secretary, whether girl or guy. It's just, it's funny the way she interacts with him. She's got a little bit of leeway in how she speaks to him. And you do have to recognize this. Uh, Mary marching Marvel member card carrying members uh, that we're dealing with post Secret War. Yes, Doom. This is a different Doom than this, we grew up yes, with. Yes, this is. If you all haven't read what we we really pushed this a while yeah. back, so when it was when it was happening, um, 
infamous the infamous Iron Man yes, this was a book about Doctor Doom, and it was a Bendis and Malieve book. Always gets me excited. That's that is a dynamic duo, uh, and uh, that book over there working at DC right now. But um, the book was a triumph that ended in a tragedy. Like yes. I was so sad about that. Yes. Yeah. To actually mourn Doom's face, and that was another thing. Did you notice that he just takes his mask off in front of Kang? Yeah, totally. But if you're, far, I, I I would like to presume that at some point they always say that Kang is a far distant relative of Doom. I would really like to presume that it is Doom, because one way or another, there's no reason why Doom couldn't be Earth's greatest superhero as much as he is that stands the chance of being the greatest supervillain and because not everybody has even a small country to back them and the the resources are fantastic and then he's a techno genius science genius and a uh, master of the dark arts uh, there's so much going for this guy and um the mere idea that he could last as long as he wants to with all of the teachings of Morgan Le Fay that he has got from time travel himself means that he could at any given moment actually be Kang who has forgotten his own origin. But that would I'd almost rather him Kang be a different character because if that's the case, then... That makes all the sense when it comes down to the Iron Lad character from uh, Young Avengers in, what, 2005 or something? Is that when that came out? Was there an Iron Last? Too? I don't know. There was no Iron Last that I recall. <laughs> I don't remember any Iron, uh, Iron Last. Iron Last. <laughs> how, how completely obvious. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, anyway, sorry. All right, so, I digress. So we launch into a Skynet-type uh, event here where uh, Earth's nukes take off into orbit and destroy the containment unit for this black hole, and it is blatantly obvious this was controlled by Doom. However, it wasn't really him. Now, he goes into yeah. crisis control mode here and has his uh, right-hand woman just, you're, you're in charge now, and they're coming, and I'm going to let them take me. And the knockdown dragout was great. Uh, it was just, just get it out. Hold on, I'm coming willingly. You don't have to do all this. And all these helic uh, helicopters are showing up in Latvia, and, and the world is not mine. Oh, if I could Please. make a note, I was very impressed by the fact that most of those helico helicopters were um, Soviet era Hind helicopters. Nice, and that's an American designation for them. Uh, they aren't the variety that you see in the movie Red Dawn, but they are that kind of double bubble cockpit and twin engine air intake uh, at the rotors. They're, I think, one of the very, most very most attractive helicopters in the world uh, pre nineties, and uh, they're heavy duty gunships used to horrible, horrible effect against the Afghanistani uh, mujahideen. Uh, in in the seventies and eighties, um, lots of improvements. But most of those things, I don't think they're they're making those suckers anymore. It just says something to me as a reader, wondering whether or not this is telling of the kind of people who are coming after him. 
though they're European Union superheroes who show up at his. Uh, Correct. They're the first ones to show up. They're mm-hmm. the first when he gives everything to Zora to take over. It and especially yeah. it, it, your your words about the fact that we're dealing with uh, Cold War era Cold War era helicopters here is that these guys know what they're doing and there's a little bit more intricacy to it. And uh-huh. and it makes me think about my dad's words when we were watching a World War II document a couple weeks, I want to say maybe like a decade ago, and we were discussing, like, he's like, who do you really think you should be scared of, Hitler or his underlings? And I was like, well, Hitler, he's the crazy one. He's like, no, no, <laughs> no. Hitler was crazy, but you really need to be scared of the crazies that believe every word that that comes out of his fucking mouth. And I'm sorry, his freaking mouth. <laughs> and 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 Zora is someone to be feared, especially during that knockdown drag out they had with trying to capture Galactus. And because she did everything that she possibly could, A, to uphold his word, and B, to constantly impress him, and C, to make sure that she secures the um, survival of Latveria, which makes me really excited to see what she's going to do and what doom is going to do as a prisoner because this is exciting because again like readers we're, we're dealing with post secret wars different doom who has a sense of a bigger sense of honor especially if you actually read this and you you see he's having flashbacks of a family that we know nothing of yeah precisely i love the uh way that the uh family man iteration of doom is depicted by the artist in that he has that look from the earliest Fantastic Four books. Uh, he does have that, that was it Marvel 60s superheroes, looks, yeah. Doctor Doom. Yeah, yeah. he really the does. eyebrows and all of that stuff. Yeah, it's just a, a nice callback. That clean cut look. Um, even though he's frolicking with his kids, he still has like the, the collared shirt on that's still tucked in, and and his wife is sitting there. That that was a that was a really nice touch, and I. I, I really think that this is the one of the main books in Marvel to pay attention to, and I really hope that they take everything that happens in this book and integrate it into main Marvel continuity. And please, uh, guys at Marvel, if you're listening oh, to I us, know. please don't disregard this book. And but thank you for at least still giving us some semblance of what we fell in love with during uh, the infamous, infamous Iron Man. That was great. What? Let's let's take a second here. Who, what other what other Marvel villains deserve their own solo book? I'm gonna step right out of the gate and always say Magneto. Magneto, a conflicted character that gets watered down relentlessly by all of his appearances in X books. Magneto, you have to be careful I, with. Uh, all the solo Magneto books have failed miserably. Yeah, it's true. Who else? But he's a guy like Doom who has his own sense of honor and can uh, um, can be as good or evil as he wants to be. It's all about his justification. Go in and look at how well he's written when Michael Fassbender plays him. He's so much less of a uh, one-dimensional character in Michael Fassbender's portrayal in the movies, I think, than... Um, Ian McKellum, who does a fantastic job, he, nevertheless. He did a fantastic job, but like I'm glad you said that because uh, one of the things I noticed in reading New X-Men number one this week was uh, that when Magneto is in any way apparent in any of the scenes, I imagine him as Michael Fassbender. And I, like, I don't awesome. 
I don't think that was on purpose. I think that was just my mind was picking the, um, like in the Matrix, like what you see is the uh, digital yeah. imagination. Like that's what my that's what my mind says when I see Magneto here. And uh, we, we got to talk about X-Men number one. And Yeah, let's hit over that. Yeah, let me uh, pull up the credits here because this one was, uh, I, I can finally bring it, give you a quick crash course of what's been going on in House of X and Powers of X. Uh, X-Men number one, Jonathan Hickman, writer, uh, Lineal Francis Hugh, artist, Gary, Jerry, Ellen Gillian, inker, Sonny Go, <laughs> color artist, DC's Clayton Cowles, letter, and guys, we're not making fun of people's names, it's just that we can never pronounce them right, and Tom <laughs> Muller, design, uh, okay, so what, what had happened in House <laughs> You're of You're that X- podcast that butchers everybody's yeah. names. <laughs> <laughs> okay, carry we're, on. We're the, we're the crappy substitute teachers. What's what happened in House of X and Powers of X is that we are seeing three timelines here, uh, three main timelines that are constantly being looped by Moira. Moira, whose mutant power is once she reaches a certain age, she will regain all of the memories she had from all of her past lives. If she is killed before oh, a certain, that's awesome. If she is killed before she reaches a certain age and regains those, uh, regains those memories, it's over. Now. If you if you've been reading those books and they were fascinating and something to be studied, when you get to X Men number one, you should understand that Moira was going through. You you were watching every t- every main timeline of what the meat and potatoes here is that Krakoa is now forming the continent that the the mutants are now living on. They have a flower that creates portals that responds to mutants, mutants only. They have their own tribunal of laws. They have a main export now. They have their own government. They also have a way of resurrecting all of the mutants using a few different mutants' powers. Uh, You do need to know that uh, adamantium-covered Wolverine died in the sun uh, during, I believe, uh, House of X number uh, three or four. Uh, And so what we see Logan now, but they all have their own memories, from the past lives, Xavier is keeping a constant uh, weekly update of their soul and memories to, if anything happens, to, you know, basically have a hard backup that is continuously being re- regenerated. So if anything, they're just a week behind. And Moira has approached Professor X, and it's a flashback to one of the first scenes at the beginning of House of X and Powers of X where Moira approached him in the very same scene. What has been happening is that she has been continuously being resurrected to try to form a future where the mutants are not exterminated. And mm-hmm. there are different forms of extermination that always that always flow in the same pattern. Uh, sentinels to Nimrods to Mother Molds to Ultimate Mother Mold. Uh, I mean, you can just keep going. Uh, Sinister has been yeah. Sinister has been grown in the mix, and now what we're at right now is where Moira is leaving off, and now we're going to get to follow her on a continuous, continuous path. Now, now, now we're we've seen a bunch of trials and redos, and now we're along for the ride and not watching three different futures at the same time. Hopefully, that's the gist I'm getting from it. That's great. You're telling me that they're taking all of these different mutant-themed timelines and finding a way to 
to morph them into one contiguous future plotline. Yes and no. Basically, we saw like 15 different ones in House of X and Powers of X and and in an abridged form. And now mm-hmm. we're starting at a point where Moira is most secure in thinking that all of her memories and everything that's happened so far in the continuous time loop, she's in a timeline which is now canon X, canon Marvel, and this is the most fruitious beginning of the X-Men that can at least in some way lead to them not being exterminated. And we get to see a little bit more of life on Kokoa. Um, Scott has his, like, he doesn't really have a mansion. He's got, like, he's got his own home, but his home is on the moon. And his... All his adopted family that is there. Um, Marvel Girl Gosh, is there. Man. Uh, Cor- Corsair is there. The, like the, they have a family dinner with Havoc. I mean, uh, it, they're all there. And uh, was there any mention of Vulcan? Yes. Really? What did they say uh, about I, Vulcan? I don't remember, but I remember seeing that. Like okay. I needed to like like ask you about that. And he, he's just having a good dinner with his dad. And they've got the other brother there, of course. And what's what's going on is this is a really nice starting point, and I really hope you guys enjoy it. But if you have, if you just picked up X Men number one, good luck. <laughs> you're 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 you don't have to read Powers of X or House of X in order to understand what happened in in, in everything that's going on. But, oh well, that's good. But it would you're doing yourself a huge disservice in not doing so just pick up the this is one of those ones where you need to buy the graphic novel when the, the full thing comes out read it in one night because you're not going to be able to put it down and then enjoy x-men number one and uh they're they're going to excalibur the few different books that are coming out and we're it, this is a golden age for x-men the way it is for golden age and wrestling right now Awesome. Man, that's such a great thing to hear. I, I'd like to say thanks. I, I know we've done it. And I, I think we mentioned this in the past, but I'd like to say thanks to Gunther who posted uh, that uh, posted about how good X-Men was some time back. Um, I'm the one that told them to read it, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> I know it. I know it. Nevertheless, I mean, when you get somebody, just just get the word out. It's a good book. It's a good book. Even if you, you know, it just to me, it's franchise fatigue when it comes to X stuff. But the great X word. thing, the entire X thing, the mutant thing, can be reined in and made one of the best, most valuable properties. There, it's just difficult with as many characters as there are. It it blows up into this own gigantic thing where you're going. What about, you know, you've got all these Avengers and you've got all of these mutants and then you've got, it's still the Fantastic Four with occasional members, you know what I mean? Right. So. <laughs> what do you got next, brother? Let's see, let's, let's keep it, let's keep it Marvel. Uh, I, uh, no decent segue there. Blah, 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 the moon, space related stuff, occasionally <laughs> doing things with the Star Jammers. Segway to Guardians of the Galaxy 10. Um... Too short. They're still teasing us with this rocket raccoon business is gonna die. Right. I'm like, 
uh, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Why are you leading it up to that? I, oh, Wolverine's gonna die for six months. Yeah, they're and they're the leading it to his, going on with Rocket. They're leading it to his resurrection and his badass or like his Lazarus pit or something like that. I don't know, but it's gonna be exactly it's gonna be like, great. If uh, that's the thing, if anything can save Rocket, it's gonna end up being some wackadoo Universal Church of Truth cocoon or something like that, or maybe he's just gonna be stuck inside the mech for a long time until it heals him. I mean, I'm not going to say that uh, the Wolverine was a good movie and that the Silver Samurai stealing Wolverine's healing factor, blah, 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 living inside of a suit of armor was going to be awesome. But, you know, hey, whatever, let's do something that's character interesting and just stick Rocket inside of a cool mech for a year. And then, yeah, I, I'm not saying that's what's happening. I'm just saying I would, I would, I would rather, like, why are we trying to kill the guy? Why don't we give him something that he had that he's dying from? Like, you know, it's like any soap opera. You got cancer. <laughs> and, you know, I've been watching those the Californians clips on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> what? I took I I took hilarious. like the, the I took the three to the four and then I liked <laughs> like no, that was uh, We used to do that. Yeah. When I lived in LA, that's what it was like. Minus all of the chilled um white wines. <laughs> but uh yeah, it's I'm just saying, I don't know, like, what? why do we have to kill this guy off and it take 25 issues? Credits. Um, yeah, the credits. Donnie Cates is writing. Corey Smith is penciling. And honestly, that's a he, freaking good art right there. Uh, Victor Olazaba is the, uh, or Vinktor, if you want to go there, is the inker. Uh, colorist, David Curiel. Letters, VCs, Corey Pettit. Getting the... Uh, Making money this month. And, um, you know, I'm going to go so far. You know, the editors, Lauren Amaro, C.B. Dubuski, and Darren Shan. Um, the editors don't get near enough attention, I think, when we talk about this. We got a, they, they've got a lot of control and a lot of direction for these books. And we need to, we need to take a minute and reconsider their importance to the entire to every one of these projects, because in the end, these books are all projects. Um, we need to talk to somebody about that and then try to share that with our listeners. But what it gets down to, Guardians of the Galaxy, issue 10, you still got Star-Lord slash Peter, because they're constantly going back and forth between whether they're going to call him one thing or the other, uh, trapped on his father's ship. Uh, and this is not Ego the Living Planet, a la Guardians of the Galaxy 2. It's his father, Jason of Spartax. Um, who is still, you know, mind-controlled by whatever's going on in the Universal Church of Truth. Though, I was a little bit confused because at a certain point at the beginning of it, this iteration of what's going on, you know, hey, it's not the UTC, it's, uh, it's a different, it's like a different version of the cult from the future. Well, we knew that. They're in this big ship from the future and all that stuff. We, we, we enter this episode where... Star-Lord is separated from his buddies. His buddies are talking to young Magus. The young Magus who we saw at the end of the recent Thanos run. Hold on. And hold on. Everything hold on. seems to be... Sorry. Uh, good job to Donny Cates to introducing... Uh, well, reintroducing uh, the Magus and his cult of followers within the pages of Thanos 
for you if if you're reading Guardians, you're probably reading Thanos, which means when you first yeah. started reading this, you knew exactly who these asshole these guys were, and and it, it, it and have a little bit of a crash course within the pages of Thanos about the Magus to understand and appreciate what is happening right now within. Uh, a very sh- short episode of Guardians of the Galaxy, and I, I remember reading this, and I'm thinking because I'm not as educated as Cosmic Marvel as you are, but without uh, uh, Kate's doing that, I would have been completely lost within the first couple pages. Well, a that's great. B it should shouldn't be like that. But at the very least, he did take enough pages to tell us who the Magus was. And uh, and explain how he was in this iteration at this point. Right. You know, uh, I think I could have picked it up and just been like, well, that's obviously the Magus because he's purple faced and, you know, just the it's just the way the uh, right. The artistic depiction works. Right. But you've been Things, re- you've, but yeah, but you also. Yeah, I know what you're saying. You're reading yeah, the I'm books. Very well aware of you, it. You've read the books. But if, if the, the people that have. Uh, fallen into the cosmic spark uh marvel because of guardians of the galaxy and uh to a lesser extent uh doctor strange and dabbling a bit and mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. I, I i would have hated for them to have been lost at the beginning of these pages not knowing who the magus was because <clears throat> they would have no i completely concur i appreciate you saying that yeah. um what it boils down to is that the characters are separated from one another Peter's over here doing his thing. Rocket, Moondragon, and Groot, who can talk now, is uh, they're off doing their own thing. They've encountered the Magus. Peter is still in danger on the UTC ship with his father and the newly hatched Drax. So if you've if you've read any of the eight, 70s and 80s Marvel cosmic-related stuff, Drax the Destroyer has a totally different look than what you've seen in the movies. And um, he was a guy that was a saxophone player named Arthur Douglas. His wife and child were killed in a car accident that was somehow related to a a cosmic interference. Um, And he ended up becoming Drax, and he wanted to eliminate Thanos. That was his entire purpose in life. He was imbued with power that would allow him to to fulfill his destiny to kill Thanos. Well, somehow the UTC has reanimated Drax and then a bunch of other Drax minions. Who, is this going to be a big deal? Because Peter was able to just kick these things in the face and get them off of him. And then Rocket and the crew show up in the new starship and more or less like save the day with a psychic attack. Automatically, Paper Tiger, this whole business. What's go- If these guys can be felled by psychic stuff, they they can get Cosmo back. Uh, they can do this whole business, and then they can just get on with things and escape and blow up the ship or whatever. I don't know. I'm just wondering whether or not there's going to be any lasting impact here. So I really enjoyed. In the end, this sorry. I really enjoyed it. I just I, it was too okay, it was too good. short. It was too short. I gotta say, yeah, I'm kind of weirded out. Recently, even by way of page count, most of the stuff I've read in the last two weeks, just felt really short. I also love the fact that Rocket is in a Endless Waltz Gundam, and it is a bl- yeah, it totally. is a blatant Endless Waltz Gundam, just without the wings and the face. 
Yeah. Even the like the the kneecaps are, are dead giveaway in, in in the crotch area and and even down to the 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 green which is it reminds me of those uh remember those little toys back in the eighties <laughs> that had that hologram in the middle they were like two inches tall and they came with like a oh battle beast yeah the, totally and they had that I can't little, believe I just pulled that out yeah they had that they had that <laughs> little hologram in their chest and like it you had to like it, they would fall off fast but. Yeah, I don't know. There were uh, the, then there were the Decepticons, there were the Transformers that you were like you're not supposed to know what they are unless you like what nobody had any concept of collectability back then. No, but the idea that you could buy a Transformer and you didn't know if, whether or not it was a Autobot or a Decepticon until you warmed up the hologram square on it would have been nuts if you were you were going, "Oh, dude, I got an army of these ambulances and they're all Decepticon and I'm looking for that one Autobot ambulance or something like that. You know, it would have been nuts. Absolute carnage. Anyway, Donny, anyway. Absolute carnage, Donny Cates. There's my segue. <laughs> Way to go. Number, <laughs> number four, Ryder, Donny Cates, Penciler, Ryan Stegman, Inkers, J.P. Mayer, Lay Leasting, and Ryan Stegman, color artist, Frank Martin, letterer, V.C. Clayton Cowles, and assistant editor, Devin Lewis, editor. And, okay, so... Real quick, Ultimate Reed Richards, and I can never remember his name, the leader. The maker. The maker. <laughs> the leader? I uh, know, it's the maker. I, I can never remember his name. Uh, he is, uh-huh. I, I've always wanted him to be a key player in the, now that he's out of the Ultimate Universe. But basically, yeah. this is a, mm-hmm. it's a knockdown drag out. It's a beautifully illustrated knockdown drag out. And for all the people that, Love Miles Morales from the uh, Spider-Verse movie. Uh, basically, Brock punched him out of the Hornet symbiote that was infecting him. And him and Brock are now, they figured out what the leader was doing. He was not trying to get the codexes out of the spines. He was actually assembling them into a greater symbiote. And when the Hornet symbiote was taken, took the Venom symbiote from the Hulk and became an even stronger symbiote. That's when, that's when Brock really, it's, it's, it's Brock's time to shine for the first time Mm -hmm. really ever. I mean, like obviously he's succeeded as, you know, anti Venom. He succeeded as Venom and not being a brain eating crazy psychopath. This is, this is Brock's time to shine, which really scares me that he's going to die. And at at the end of, uh, yeah, yeah at the end of this so have some fun with the knockdown drag out wait tell me as a as as a fan and as a reader i mean hasn't eddie brock died already oh he's died like a couple of times but at the same time though this is like all those were throwaway deaths this as opposed to getting cancer <laughs> throwaway death. as opposed to getting cancer yeah. no this would this one would be if if brock died at the, <clears throat> at the end of uh absolute carnage i think this would be at least a, a decade till we saw Brock again, especially since his boy's there. I give it three years. Uh, they're doing a good job of tying in all of the random spider books to this. If you read the last uh, Amazing good, Spider-Man, good. Uh, if but you have to buy them all, and but that's okay. Other than the fact that they're quick reads, they don't. It's not that they don't do a good good job integrating all the spider books like shriek and and amazing spider-man how that tied in because they were, he, they were finishing one story up like 
within like three issues of Absolute Carnage with Spidey, the Amazing Spider-Man. Like there's just kind of one book, and I think one extra one that's going to tie into it. But even then, uh, they they do a good job of tying it in. Parker is doing his best to protect the boys. Captain America, Wolverine, and and Spidey on a less, lesser level in and Absolute Carnage Avengers, which just came out too. That was a just an adventure book that tied into where Cap shows up, and it's a good read. Um, it's definitely not as epic as Maximum Carnage was. It's a lot darker, that's for sure. The artwork is uh, exponentially better, but that's just because of the uh, technological limits from the from the nineties now. But have some fun. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's worth it. Man, absolute carnage in the nineties for real. Maximum I, carnage. I just I could. Sorry, maximum carnage in the nineties. What did I say? Absolute. We're doing absolute right oh. now. Oh, yeah. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, no, maximum carnage in the nineties was one of those things that just crushed me because I just didn't have any money. I didn't have a decent allowance. Sorry, mom and dad. I just wasn't good enough. Even at a buck twenty five or a buck fifty per issue, it was. Uh, it was really hard to keep up with that series, and yet I did it, and it was one of those like masterpieces. I felt I've got this whole thing, and it was a pretty good yarn. And uh, what my beef with it was, for some reason, I didn't like Mark Mark Bagley artwork back then. I think when I when I realized uh, his uh, his contribution to it's all with uh, Ultimate Spider Man, I think there was a different. There was just a maturity that it's gotten even better when we were doing the uh, Life and Times of Spider-Man recently. Um, but uh, there was that. At, at the same time, the Spectacular Spider-Man books drove me nuts. Such, I don't know, just quick attempts. Nevertheless, yeah, that was still something else. I'm looking forward to reading all of that in one sitting. Absolute carnage, for that matter. Maximum carnage. The thing about Maximum carnage was the fact that if you missed a book, you were screwed. Uh, oh, completely! You were screwed. Yeah. Uh, you you'd have to just acknowledge that you there's stuff you don't know. With absolute carnage, uh, they do a good job of tying it in. I I I I kind of wish they'd have just had the cojones to just say you have to read every single one. Sorry, which would have yeah. which would have made it, in my opinion, less of a cash grab and more of a pay attention to the story, guys. Because like, hey, I get it. You know, we're in that timeline now where. People have a very small attention span, but we don't care. You miss a book, you're screwed. As opposed to the, the if you miss the book and someone that slaved away for a month and their contribution is a two-panel recap and a book that is quote-unquote more relevant. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Man, what an observation. It's, it, yeah. So, hey, but still, it's, it's still a good story. Uh, have some fun, but it's it's kind of depreciating right now in terms of the hype because I'm I'm, yeah. I'm honestly getting a little tired of it because we've been building toward this story for I want to say four years maybe three in terms of Carnage having the cult coming back him getting the book uh, them integrating a cult into it as like was it how long ago was it when they brought him out of orbit. When the sentry ripped him in half, <laughs> God, that would have been like, dude, for real. What if there's a better way to kill a character? I mean, 
What, yeah, what are you going to do? I mean, the sentry ripped the freaking guy in half out in space. He's not coming back. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. And yet, here we are. Why can't... So if you want... It's the same thing I complain about, you know, if you want... You can't don't don't try to duplicate Wolverine. You can attempt at duplicating a Captain America. You can give a guy with a different power set the shield and say he's Captain America. That's a title, but you're not going to change Steve Rogers. And you know I love Sam Wilson as Captain America. I love the idea that you can get the Carnage symbiote in you, and you would be the new Carnage. I love the idea that the Venom costume would or the symbiote, would go to another host and be some iteration of Venom. These things all work for me. But, I mean, why does Cletus Cassidy have to remain? He's the closest freaking thing to the Joker we've got. we got to have a Joker. It doesn't... No, we don't. And I, that's the thing. I felt like that kind of mayhem in the 90s with Maximum Carnage was... Uh, well, this is kind of them doing a riff on Joker, but... Um, I thought it was... It was horrendous. I thought it was just enough. It was just enough to pique your your imagination of what Carnage was really up to. You didn't have to see him rip someone in half and their guts blow everywhere. You could... Him him just talking about it and you knowing how serious he was Precisely. about it... Precisely. Was, was, ...was good enough the way that you can hear Ted Bundy talk. Or not... Well, Ted Bundy never really talked about it openly about his... As, as we'd want him to have had done about his murders as opposed to a lot of other uh, serial killers. But I, I took him seriously and I didn't need guts and, and blood and, and you know, details. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I so. remember reading it and, and thinking the same thing when I was, when I was young and just going, I get that this is happening, and by the mere fact of it, I know that these guys need to be stopped, and Spidey is stressed out. You know, and it's something about that. That build-up to it really, really worked. It's like Nightfall. At the same time, the Batman story, you know, Batman being so sick and so stressed out and so worn out before finally getting, you know, nailed by Bane, you know who the bad guy is in these situations. And consequently, I feel like Shriek out Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn, way before uh, she even arrived on the scene as a crazy girlfriend type. Ugh. Barf. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Barf. Yeah. How wonderfully 1987 of you. Just, uh, <laughs> just like, especially when, because uh, you want to talk about Archie now, and I was thinking about how yeah. Archie-esque... Harley Quinn has been now, oh, Puddin, I'm going to smash something with my hammer, my mallet, and then I'm going to kiss this guy in the lips, and then I'm going to put a grenade down his pants and make some stupid, like, uh, junk joke, and then I'm going to go and save an animal, and then I'm going to go kiss Mr. J and break him out and betray all my friends, and then repeat, and then endless cycle. Like, dude, I got to tell you that, uh, what was that shirt she wore in Suicide Squad? Um... Daddy's little monster. That was just Ugh. that was just exhausting. Like, like the most of that movie I've ever seen was actually last night, standing somewhere, and it was on the TV in 
caps lock, like I or captions. I hadn't seen. Uh, I've never seen it, and it's just uh, by weight of the performances in that show, I knew it was an exhausting waste of talent. It was. It was pretty bad. But let's talk about Archie, man. Tell, tell me how good Archie yeah. was. I'm, I'm, I came to the realization, this is Archie 708, and uh, this is still the Archie and Sabrina storyline. Uh, writer Nick Spencer and Mariko Tamaki, and good on them, because this is a well-crafted, fun story. Uh, pencilers Sandy Jarrell, um, inker Sandy Jarrell, colorist Matt Herms, and uh, letters Jack Morelli. Editors Vincent Lavallo, Stephen Oswald, Jamie Lee Rotante. And uh, Alex Segura. Um, the, the the artwork felt different from this issue to the last. And I think it's just by nature of what they were trying to do with the story. But the whole thing felt like a recap. Because I don't remember, unless there's a bigger Archieverse book that I need to be reading. That's like the Riverdale book that's not tied into this TV series. Um I didn't realize there was all of this other stuff going on. There was one issue where they introduced the Archie Sabrina relationship and they're trying so hard to keep this relationship a secret from everybody so much so that they're just having picnics out in the woods that seem to have some kind of a magical lean. Um, And, uh, At the same time, there's this whole side quest of Jughead and Reggie trying to figure out who Reggie's dad is. And I'm going, what did I miss? I don't even remember. I Like, I missed an issue or something like that? Was this stuff all going on, like, four or five issues ago? And then they've decided to suddenly incorporate it into the main book? I mean, the last issue had a whole, whole thing about how Archie and Sabrina met and started dating one another. And it was so organically sweet and good-natured. And uh, I just I'm looking at it and going, I would rather see him with the, with uh, this girl than either of the other ones. And really, Archie's not the thing that compels me as a as a viewer of Riverdale. And I need to see season three. The guy's a big dummy. He is so big hearted and full of good intentions and honor. But he's still done extraordinarily stupid stuff from one plot line to the next. Sleeping with a teacher automatically. Big trouble. Automatically. Oh, dude, you opened the series with that? That is scandal of the highest order. And then going from there to, I'm going to start a vigilante gang to take down this uh, serial killer. And I'm going to, I'm going to be a capo for the local mob family that my girlfriend's dad and all of this stuff, like getting into a thing where he, he probably where where he got involved with the possibility of killing a dude, and that's what all of season three is about. Really him being punished in juvenile hall. Really, it's intense. That series is out of control, out of control. And um, let alone, that's just him. The other characters all have enormous other things going on. Uh, and uh, so I mean, this book is just so relaxed compared. And it's fun because it's just Archie is just this regular guy that, yeah, stuff happens to him. And yeah, he's this local celebrity. Uh, But Sabrina, he's still in four issues. This is the thing that bothers me. 
This is Archie and Sabrina issue four. Of, it's number 708, but it's issue four of five of the plot line. And I'm going, oh man, are they going to split up at the end of five? That's just going to be sad. Or I don't know. I mean, like, am I going to be interested in it after that? This girl, it's, it's this. I just feel like this story could carry on. Cause it's like, it's like, Watching the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie or something, you know? Hey, yeah, I got a secret. I'm a girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, I seem <laughs> like I'm kind of normal. I look more or less normal, but I'm a witch. I'm a teenage witch. <laughs> and she still hasn't really entirely shared that with him by this point. But the whole issue felt like a recap. Like, what? hey, here's all this other stuff that happened recently. Through the whole book, and then a couple of little bits and pieces of Reggie and Jughead working on their thing that just totally sideswiped me. Was the uh, was not the, to mention was the Betty artwork and was the artwork bush league compared to last issue? I wouldn't say bush league. No, no, it was just slightly less. But it was also, you know, hey, we're focusing on this business in the woods, and and it was. I find myself drawn in by like, okay, what's Sabrina wearing this week? Or this this issue. It's it's like how cute and approachable can we make her character look while simultaneously giving her this modicum of sex appeal? It's just like and that's that's the thing where it was kind of like, well, this is modest and simultaneously really appealing. And then I gotta say, like the inking was fantastic, all of these scenes in the woods where they're just sitting there talking about eating hamburgers and whatever. And all of the moments of reminiscences were, uh, they had a particular, uh, tonality that was, that made it feel right. Um, you know, like when you see a, a flashback sequence in something and they suddenly do it in kind of a washed out black and white or a sepia tone or something like that. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, they just did it. It was just you know, appropriate, artistic rendering but in the end it just didn't feel like it was the same thing as what i'd been looking at and um there's always a disparity here because they have cover artists who by the way was Derek charm and um i don't know i'm just i'm i guess the problem i have with the whole book is that it feels like there's a lot less content by way of page count and so for them to spend an issue doing a recap of stuff that's been going on in a five issue limited, I guess, even if it's part of the main or main, uh, larger continuity, then I just expect more than a recap issue. So, I mean, that's kind of where I am with it. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens, what what's going on in the next book. Did you have any fun with it? At least I did because I can't get over the, they just, the, and it's not even a, a, a joke, but the charm of the idea of Sabrina and Archie. You've got this protagonist, this this main character, it's still his book, but like you've got it's 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 they're sharing the title. It's Archie, Archie and Sabrina number four or five, like when it was Daredevil and the Black Widow or Captain Cap and Falcon. You know what I mean? Yeah. These guys support their own books, but we're sharing the title for a while. But they're not doing anything. They're just lazing around. They're not trying to solve a mystery. Why were there werewolves in the freaking woods in the first issue or the first part of their their get together? And why doesn't that really bother him? And it, like, is, is he casting a spell on her, or is she casting a spell on him? I don't know. I'm like, 
I don't know why. I just can't get over. It. Just like I just feel like, oh, this is this is wonderful chewing gum. I just I want to see it, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, it's more of a commitment. This is the crazy part of it. It's more of a commitment for me to sit down and start watching the Sabrina TV series, which I'm compelled to do. But now I'm very sad about wanting to do it because. Frankly, that's the kind of thing I'd like to spend time doing uh, with with company, and I don't have it. I don't have company, and um, I guess it's mainly because it's not the company I would choose to keep. So there's a lot of emotions tied up into it. It's like I want to go and have dinner with somebody, but because I can't, I'd rather just eat a granola bar. And that's what the book is. You know what I mean? I don't want to explore the new Thai food because that's something I was going to do with somebody. Yeah. This is really turning into a therapy session in my head, but it suddenly makes so much sense I was just, I was as just... to why I just really long for the next issue of Archie and Sabrina. I was just about How to weird. stop you. <laughs> Dude, yeah, was, go for was, it. Was, Man, was, amazing. I, I, I was just about to stop you, but one thing I find is a missed opportunity from everything they've been doing in Archie since things have picked up. Um, and I want to say things have picked up since Fiona Staples and Mark Wade took over, I want to say back in 2015, or uh-huh. is that they're not simultaneously or second printing all of the books in digest form, which is the only way I prefer to digest Archie. Whether Dude, it... I agree. What off the top of your head? Do you recall what the price point was off of a digest back, like when you were younger? I do actually. I do because uh, one of my uh, one of my most memorable issues of Spawn, uh, issue number fifty nine, I bought for I think it was almost two dollars or dollar fifty, and then uh, Archie Digest was at, at the BX because we stopped in Anchorage because uh, we were we went on a halibut fishing trip in Valdez. And we stopped. Ooh. We stopped in uh, Elmendorf uh, to get some supplies, you know, from road supplies because it was like. Did you take the four hundred five <laughs> from Valdez up to the <laughs> up to the one ten? What do you mean, bro? <laughs> what are you doing here in Juno? <laughs> no, no, it was great. We stopped because uh, my dad is totally rad when it comes to um, road trips, so. We stopped and he's like, hey, you know, get some books and uh, at the BX and get some books and uh, take your sister to find some books and uh, whatever you guys need. And, you know, so yeah. Robin and I went and found some. We went to the comic books and I got Spawn number 5059, uh, Archie Digest, which was $2. And oh my gosh. And then it was also uh, X Files Digest number two, which was $5. And it was, and it was like, I want to say ninety percent slimmer than the. Uh, well, it was actually a jug cast, Jughead. Robin and I cooked for a Jughead, and then he bought us a big ass uh, bag of uh, jerky, and then Robin and I just digested. Oh wow! Yeah, and then that was that was what we went through on the way uh, from Jesus Anchorage to Isleson. It was almost eight, eight and a half hours. But on the way there, huge state. Man. On the way there, we got to. Stand on a glacier, see an actual moose buck, that sort of fun stuff. But yeah, let's uh, let's move on. Sorry, incredible man. Alaska stories never fail to impress. But if guys and Archie, uh, if you were simultaneously releasing even a dollar more 
for the variant digest cover as digest size, I would be all about it. Like I, I wouldn't miss them. Like, yeah, I, I just desire more content. You know what I mean? Ah, yeah. Publish them all. Like publish the last three in digest size. Um, there was some old school stuff that might be relevant to Archie and Sabrina in the back from the fifties and slap it together, charge me five bucks. And Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's so obvious. Yep. That's so obvious, man. Hey, Archie press seriously. Take us, take us, uh, take us seriously on this, man. I would love to read old Archie. Like here's the first time that Archie and Sabrina met. Do you remember the time when Scooby-Doo and the Glo- Harlem Globetrotters, blah, blah, blah? I mean, yeah. and you reprint that or something crazy. I'm not saying that in particular. It would have the same appeal. All right, yeah, we should press on, man. Uh, I hope they don't break up. Oh. What do you think about the... Just quickly, don't go too far into it, uh, the, fi- <laughs> the, the 50s version of dating. Because it was okay to court multiple girls now it's not <laughs> now, what yeah boy i spiked the uh, mixer on that court multiple girls yeah i mean it was courting like you in, like in high school like you you dated different people and you knew that other that the person you were dating was dating someone else but you weren't like doing it or maybe you were but at the same time he was is that the basis for all archie books yeah that's why that's why he's dating them both that's why reggie's like like reggie was dating both of those chicks at the same time too they just didn't make it so obvious and which is why they always make the joke that jughead was uh homosexual because he wasn't dating anybody except for that that one weird looking girl and when they did get together like they were just perfect for each other like it was such a good oh yeah what is her name? She had that weird uh, that weird nose. Man, yeah. I, they did something. I believe they did. I, I wouldn't know from that, but I believe they did something with her in the series, or in the Riverdale show, and it was really cool. I loved who they cast. I just, I don't remember, and I just feel like she was a really cool character. I don't know. I just liked it. I was like, oh, ooh. Uh, oh. Man, I wish I knew more about that. No, dude, I would be, man, you think about where I came from. I mean, I would be handed my own ass if i had tried to date multiple people at the same time i'm not gonna say i haven't been like but but they were dates they were dates like like formal dates like pick them up take them to dinner no that's what i'm saying go to movie like not just uh the way you and i usually get down is like go to some crazy nightclub and then wake up somewhere insanity ensues yeah insanity ensues yeah um no man i mean like yeah, let's not get too heavily into the reality, but yeah. I mean, so, so Archie back in the day real. dating Archie back That's in the day dating was the Rolling incredible. Stones, and us dating now is Slipknot. This <laughs> 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 Slipknot, but yeah. It, oh it, man, it, it, think about that, guys. Because, no wonder I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, I never but, listen to Slipknot. Yeah, but think about it, guys. I mean, in in, in gals, uh, in in whatever you consider yourself, uh, whatever pronoun, I'm doing my best. Um, what's wrong with that? Find what you want. You don't have to hide it, and that's that. That's my point. Is they didn't hide I it. I think that's that's my man, point. That's the nature of of online dating. You you go out and you meet. So I know I know girls that have a new date every single night. They're trying to see who's going to take. And I talked to a buddy of mine recently. He was like, "I never pay for dates. Never, I never pay for dates. There's no sense in it unless we're going out. I don't have any." reason to be paying for 
anything, period. People like either like, okay, no, I get that. Or people are like, I forget about it. I feel like a bullet shell just hit my ass or a bullet, a bullet just landed outside. Might be getting a bunch of hail here in a second. Yeah, I've been hearing, I've been hearing all the, the great Oklahoma thunder. I miss it. Yeah, man. I also miss That's a good mic then. A good mic I've got. I also miss caring about the thunder, as in the Oklahoma City Thunder, because I don't like. Where's is Russell Wilson with the the Rockets now? Like, I don't even know. Russell Wilson? Yeah. Russell Westbrook? Yeah, he's with the Rockets. Yeah, I don't. I, I even forgot his damn name. Like we, we like it used to be like our end all be all, but whatever. Anyway, uh, Batman: Nightfall, Tales from the Dark Multiverse, number one. This was. Juicy. This is my pick of the week. This one was, and I'm a sucker for anything DC Elseworlds. Um, they didn't call it Elseworlds, but I think they just they should have. But this is Tales from the Dark Multiverse. Um, it's almost like a Beyonder type guy or or a Watcher that is scoping out the different multiverses, and he's looking for a true hero. And he ends up in the Gotham universe where Batman was killed by Azrael and Azrael killed Bane at the end of Nightfall, which didn't happen, but this is what happened in this universe. And Azrael goes crazy. And for the people that know anything about Azrael, Azrael is commanded by uh, old scripture. And in this one, uh, Gotham is basically an almost floating city that no one is allowed in or out. And Azrael is hooked on Venom. And he's got a beautiful wife. And it's, I want to say, 20, 30 years in the future. And the uprising that is coming up against everything against Azrael is led by the son of Bane, who has the natural ability to venomize himself it's in his blood it's in his dna and he can increase his size and you think that bruce wayne is dead but every year on the anniversary asriel goes to the top of wayne wayne tower and he has bruce wayne's torso spine and head kept alive and every year he goes yeah every year he goes there and tell me i was right no and every year asriel moves a different body part and it was it, it they didn't show it it was just the it was it reminded me of like Cameron Hodges from Extinction Agenda um in regards to Bruce Wayne's appearance and Bane's kid frees him along with Bane's wife and uh they they create the uprising that overthrows Azrael and they give the with nanotech technology they give Bruce Wayne a body back to become the Batman again to help overthrow everything. So they do overthrow everything, but the nanotech basically turns Batman's entire body, except his head and his torso, neck and spine into living bats. So he is just, he flies in a swarm and it's, it's gorgeous. It's, (laughs) it's, it's gorgeous. And when everything is over, Gotham doesn't need you. Gotham needs me. And I realized that I relied on my family too much. And I think you were right. <laughs> he takes over, it, like, it, it ends with him taking, about to take over Gotham as, like, a more lethal, unresolving, no-mercy Batman. Written by Scott Snyder and Kyle Higgins. Artist, 
Javier Fernandez, Colors, Alex Gimarez, Clayton Cowles, Letterers. Wow, these guys are just on the ball. Uh, Lee Weeks and Brad Anderson cover, and they don't have editors on this. So, sorry guys, if they were there, I'd, I'd mention you. I'm sure you helped out quite a bit, or you didn't because it was Scott Snyder and they just left you alone. <laughs> what do you got next, brother? Um, what do I have that's still vigilante oriented? Nothing. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump into Cobra Kai: The Karate Kid Saga continues, number one, Johnny's story, part one. Uh, I feel like I looked at the credits for this immediately because I was trying to find copyright information because I thought, how, how, why is this? Why, why have I never seen this before? And when did this come out? This is an IDW book. Uh, it, it's it is characterized as being 2019, and I'm kind of surprised because I thought it would be from 18 or something like that. Uh, so it's to me, I think it's a surprise that it's taken this long for them to do one of these books. But I also wonder about the licensing. Uh, this is Denton J. Tipton writing, penciler Kagan McLeod and inker. Uh, Louis Antonio Delgado is the colorist. Neil Uyatake is the letterer. Did I say that? The letter is Neil Uyatake. Editors, Megan Brown and Tom Waltz. And the cover artist is also Kagan McLeod. Um, it's a very... It's a very sketchy book. And by that, it means... I, I, I don't... It just doesn't have this finished artistic quality. I'm not saying it's lazy, and I'm not saying it's rushed. I think that... It is purposefully. This is how it's done. This is how this this uh, the, the, Kagan McLeod does the work. The way that Tucci used to do, like uh, late she in like the early oh, mid nineties or late yeah nineties, where you could see the graphite, but you could see extra uh -huh. ink. But the colors were beautiful. But they also left in the roughness of the of the of the graphite. Is that what you're saying? It's precisely that. Yeah the the color does a lot to flesh out the character's appearance. Um, the cover is pretty cool. It is the, that classic moment of Johnny Lawrence. I mean, this is, this is Karate Kid, everybody. Obviously, we've seen the Karate Kid. It is iconic. There are moments that are totally throwaway moments in that movie that have been scrutinized and paid so much attention that they're in the public consciousness. So I, I feel like I can say these things in a qualified way and you're going to know what I mean. Johnny Lawrence, fists at the ready, brandishing himself in a, like a, a, a right foot back uh, fighting stance, ready to fight Daniel, but he's centered on the All Valley Tournament fist logo. So it's like when you're looking at the, if you've seen those Funko action figures, is that what they are? Funko? Not the Funko Pops. The uh, reanimated. Reanimator action figures? Oh, Reanimation? No, no, re reaction. Reaction. Reaction, yeah. yeah. I, 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 it's a love-hate relationship with those. Um, it's that one where it's like, this is that one. It's Johnny is in his fighting position, ready to fight Daniel. Daniel's on the other side. And uh, Johnny and uh, John Kreese are, or Sensei Kreese, as it were, are glaring at each other across the cover. Um, 
It's an excellent cover to establish everything you want to know about what's going to go on in this book. But it's Cobra Kai, so it's based off of the hit, hit Netflix series. I'm sorry, Netflix. Oh my gosh, I am so sorry. YouTube YouTube Red Red series. Uh, I have seen the first season and I freaking loved it. And I, I, I'm out of stuff. I, I watched season th- three of Stranger Things. I just finished Dark Shadows a little bit ago. I'm ready to start watching Cobra Kai, and I'm kind of looking forward to doing that in my hotel over the next week or two. So, um, what is this? It is his students from the from the uh, the school talking to him about stuff, and Johnny reflecting on the things that he's telling them. Hey, blah, 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 Sensei Lawrence, it's like this. Yeah, well, it's because of that. So you realize the, the, why he says things are, are based around his experiences as a kid. So there was one, excuse me, episode in Cobra Kai season one that started out with young 10, 12-year-old Johnny Lawrence riding around on his bike, listening to his Walkman, and going home and having dinner with his stepfather, who is a movie executive, and his mom, and talking to them about seeing the school for the first time and falling instantly in love with the concept of it and everything that he could be and the power that he felt. Like, he was a good kid. He was just a good kid. And that's where this story goes. It starts with him being a good kid. And then he honestly makes a killer pass at Allie Mills uh, in one of his earliest days of high school. And it's hot. Like she fell for him. He had all this self-confidence. Women, guys, ladies, if you don't know, there's nothing more attractive, I think, than self-confidence. And someone can rob you of that. And then you don't know what to do with yourself. Women, be self-confident. A man is going to go for you. Uh, Guys, be self-confident. You're going to get her. And that's what I'm seeing here. It's a beautiful display of self-confidence that he got from being in his karate school, in the school, in Cobra Kai. And this is just so well depicted. She goes for it. Pow! All he had to do was show up and put what he had in him on the table. and And then... He made a couple of mistakes. He got in with the boys. They were they were riding around on their motorcycles because that was the first thing. He saw the guys who were in the class on heavy-duty Harleys. And uh, so then he got on these dirt bikes with his buddies from class. And, they, they you know, that little gang she talks about. You guys and your little Cobra Kai gang. And uh, the parallels are incredible. You just see this wistfulness in Johnny just like it's well done in the TV series. And then uh, and then you see his perspective of all of this stuff. And very quickly, about halfway through the issue, you start to, you, you, you stop seeing it be this kind of reflection on things that we haven't seen from the Karate Kid movies. And you start seeing how Daniel first appears and... They're on the beach and that infamous scene where Daniel and Johnny get into the fight. And then I think the thing that really kills me is at the end, Johnny is crying, riding away from that incident because of the rejection. 
He was being a dick. He was being a dick. But you also look at it and it, you're sympathetic towards him because you realize Ali shouldn't have been doing it like that. If if the book was taken to be canon, he made a mistake. And yeah, it sounds like it was a it was a series of mistakes. Johnny and the boys went out. They were somewhere up the beach and they got totally drunk. They're teenagers and they're drinking beer and he's talking about being the degenerate. Go back and watch that scene after you've read this issue. Find it on YouTube, whatever you got to do. But get this issue. If you like this story and you're interested in the character so, and you like that TV series. So this is more flashback? There's a lot of flashback to things that... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The whole issue is him flashing back to things that lead into the way he's explaining the things to his students. So is this like and more of a prologue? Yes, it was a prologue to the Karate Kid. And then it gives this enriched quality to the scenes that we are so familiar with. So half of it is seeing Johnny's perspective of the little fight, the little tiff on the beach, and then him riding away. And you just get this impression that he's walking, Johnny Lawrence is walking a really fine line every day as an instructor, trying not to be, he's trying to be the better part of his failings. I'll still never buy that Johnny couldn't have been a more affluent member of society than the way he was depicted initially in the series. They really were making fun of him, unfortunately. And then they got past it and they made him into a character that we can love. They also kind of make him way more of a dummy than I think he ought to come off. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I completely know. I, I just, I, I really like this issue. I want more. I want Johnny's perspective on every moment of what happened in every scene of The Karate Kid. I can't wait to see him leading the guys after, after Mr. Miyagi beat them up and Daniel is parading like his his it's a dick move you know mr miyagi rescues daniel he agrees to he agrees to teach him karate he then they go together to the cobra kai studio and they make the deal this is what we're going to do i want to see johnny's perspective on that scene watching his sensei put this thing together for him the assuredness this kid will never get there this kid will never be able to defeat me overconfidence that's an enemy it's fascinating what this suggests i cannot wait to read more of this that's what i got about it that's what i got it's just so it's just oh man i want more i've said it before I'm, I'm, and i'm gonna say it now i'm in he's it. my favorite character in the entire franchise just because he has the greatest hurdles to leap I'm in, man. Like, uh, mm. everything that has to do with uh, what's going on with anything with Cobra Kai, I'm I'm in. Like, that TV man, show yeah. is so good. Even if this was crappily drawn, uh, I, I, I'm in. I'm not going to qualify this as crappily drawn. I mean, at the very least, it's almost caricature art, which is kind of awesome because the 
like two percent exaggerated features of the of the characters almost further sell the emotions that they're experiencing uh without making it extreme without making it over the top you know you know what you're i, I i've heard you on your kind of complaint about some of the uh overlay work or the tracing that might be going on in the star wars book that we like drives me and nuts. i totally dig this is imagine this being like just enough sugar in your coffee as opposed to like here's sweet tea that's going to crack your teeth you know what i mean so anyway it was badass what else do you got what else do i have let me see Justice League number 34. Now, guys, I hate to do this to you, but if you have ever been into a... Like, this had the feeling of a knockdown, drug-out football game or wrestling match. We're talking the <laughs> Justice League in the past and in the future are kicking some ass. They have un unbelievably been able to obtain the relics they need in order to defeat Perpetua and Lex Luthor. And mm -hmm. as things are going along, God, this one, this one really hit me. Uh, Starman, all the Starman of past, present, future, they, they unite. Cool. They unite as a singular constellation throughout the cosmos and time itself to open up time portals to get to Lex Luthor and Perpetua that are about to defeat all of Perpetua's kids, which include the Anti-Monitor. Now, credits. Pull up some credits here, because I'm always hitting mm -hmm. on you for credits. Scott Snyder <laughs> and James Tinney and the fourth writers. Bruno Redondo and Howard Porter. Art, Hi-Fi Colors. Tom Napoleano. Letters, Francis Menopole cover. Um, Ben Mayares, associate editor, and Rich Jamie S. Rich, main editor. They are doing everything they can, and they have done it. They have figured it out. They are on their way back from the final, for the final battle. And Hot Girl, who all she needed to do was hold back and wait for them to get there, to unite their powers, the relics, with herself in order to defeat Perpetua, but she got it up her ass that she could defeat Lex Luthor herself, and this is the problem. And in terms of writing, it makes sense. Like, it, like if you were reading this and like, woman, what are you doing? All they told you to do is just stay still. Don't use your powers yet. You can do some blocks. You can hit someone in the face, but sh because uh, <laughs> L Luther killed John Jones, Martian Manhunter. She thinks she can defeat Luther on her right. own. And because she did so and used the power that she had before they could come back, split seconds before they could come back. Split seconds. They're coming back and they're not unified by her power and because of that, Perpetua has completely risen and Doom has overflowed all of the cosmos and outweighed good and she's rising and you see the 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 big 
the big in cosmic lettering like the symbol like it's one of those symbols that you would think was like a new like green lantern ring and she is risen and all is over and that's where it ends like it's one of those things like we're come back later <laughs> okay um kick ass um usually I, and it, it it just it just shows <laughs> For all our listeners, if you're not a DC guy or gal or pronoun of your own choice, and I'm not being crappy or I just I want to be all inclusive and I don't know how to do it, even though I've taken classes at just some things I don't take um, or know how much my own involvement in your whatever. I'm just saying I'm doing my best. It's going to it's going to grab you by the boo boo. Because it was going to happen. Imagine, imagine if at the last moment, all that, all that they needed to do in Terminator 2 was, you know, blast the T-1000 into, into the liquid molten and John's like, you know, maybe we can turn him. <laughs> maybe I can punch him. <laughs> and and uh, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> what are you doing, dude? We're almost there. Like we're at the crescendo here. And. And for everyone that it doesn't understand DC, this is what they do, and this is what they do best, and this is why people who declare themselves as DC people declare themselves as DC people because they grab you right in the heart, right in the emotions, even though a knockdown dragout is happening. Beautiful colors, beautiful layouts. <coughs> Excuse me. Worth every bit of it. We're talking in the past, they're turning bad guys into good guys in the future. They're getting more people from even further futures to, yeah, to, to just to battle one guy here before they open the portal and like 10 things are happening. And year of the villain is one of the best things that DC's done since, uh, blackest night. No exaggeration. I'm putting that out there. Those are my cards. If you're not reading it, you're messing up. But also, it's, but also, they're doing the same thing that we were having that uh, discussion about uh, absolute carnage. You can get caught up in a quick blurb or two. But also, yeah, yeah, yeah right. To 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 an even greater extent, uh, there's some things that happen near the villain they don't even mention in the main storyline. So if you pick up the the graphic novel of You're the Villain, Doom, or whatever it is. There's some things they're not even going to mention that happened within the pages of the Flash or uh, even uh, You're the Villain Joker. Um, that simply aren't standing out yet. I hope You're the Villain Joker something happens, but I doubt it. Um, just have some fun. That's that's all I got for that one, man. Uh, you've got Star Trek Year 5. Yeah, one last uh, story in this. Um, this, is an, this is issue number six. And uh, one one last story in this story arc. Um, we we've had this Tholian child on the ship for a while since the first issue of this. Anyway, uh, Jody Hauser is writing it. Sylvia Califano is penciling, also inking. Colorist Thomas Deer. Uh, letterer Neil Uitake. Yep, I said that. Editor John Barber. Chase W. Marotz. Annie. Kirin Tupa and uh, Denton J. Tipton, color artist Stephen Thompson. So uh, this is an, this is another IDW book, and um, 
it was really fast. I'm not saying I'm the page count was any different, but it's really a fast read compared to the other ones that were so dense. They've been dealing with the situation where they uh, they're like, oh, we got to get this kid, this this alien child that how we cannot communicate with back to its people, but they will automatically perceive this as a war, like a threat, um, or they'll kill it, or they'll kill us. We don't know what's going to happen. And uh, it's amazing because Uhura has been trying so hard to come up with some kind of matrix to allow her to speak with it. And uh, she calls it bright eyes, because it's got little glowing eyes. And it just it turns into a thing where it's kind of cute. It doesn't want to be alone. She accidentally heard something. Now, the amazing thing about this is that the dilemma in the situation turns out to be the thing that makes it possible. And that is such a reversal. Think of the episode of Next Generation okay. where the Enterprise is trying for all its might to get out of this little thing. And they don't realize, like, we can't go anywhere. And everything we're doing is drawing us into this energy vortex. Bottom and then clear. they're like, wait a minute, let's just use our thrusters. Quit trying so hard to run at full tilt away from this thing and taking nine steps back. Just use the slowest thing you've got that somehow gets you some traction. You know, it's like walking on snow. They figure out in this issue because they're dealing with this kind of aphasia where I could have just said that entire story, but you would have heard it differently. Absolutely. And... And then we don't understand each other. And it's the slightest difference. And people all over the Enterprise are having issues with one another and getting into fights because they can't convey properly what they're doing. <clears throat> I'm sorry, what they need to be doing and what they need to be telling each other. So Kirk eventually, there's a great moment where Kirk gets a request from engineering and he's just like, in as few words as possible. Don't elaborate. Just tell me what it is that's going on. And they explain it. And then they and prior to that, Bones and McCoy and uh, Spock are sitting there all talking uh, with with him and they're realizing the situation. And he says, Jim, I want you to say this. Then he says it word for word. But Spock hears something completely different. And there's like, OK, so that's the problem. We're dealing with some kind of an aphasia where blah, blah, blah. Well, that's the thing, is that because of this aphasia, Uhura is able to communicate with the Tholian. And then she realizes, with just a handful of words, she's able to develop a Rosetta Stone. And then she's able to take one of their universal translators and start making it work. And you realize the beauty of this whole ridiculous thing that's been going on for issues and issues. And, it's, and this was a subplot, more often than not, that now it's like the most interesting part of the book. And it's like, this is how you can say diplomatic overtures and ambassadors and stuff like that could start with this implacable enemy alien because we were able to talk to a child because this sounds, of a this dilemma. Sounds like, this sounds like something someone would have taken months to slave over in Star Trek lore and something <laughs> you and, and then something you and I would have uh, machine gunned out bullet point wise and probably... 10 minutes and then spent the next 45 minutes and ended because we're that we're that in it because most people don't understand the, the emotional quality of this and how how deep it goes and how 
you can't <laughs> you can't just give us okay the enterprise does this and then they go to point b and then they go to point c and then it ends at point d you can't do that with star trek that that's that's one of the beauties about it and that's man a killer job of what you're telling me this comic was because i did yeah. not expect that from what i've read from issues one through three uh this is a total i, I don't want to call it a monkey wrench but this is something that would that is more of a like and here's more there's <laughs> more yeah and, it's a happy accident you know it's such a it's such a, a twist i think um and star trek writers do that i guess that's the thing i'm gonna say something that's gonna sound like we're making a big deal out of ourselves but like we don't just walk through minefields we wade through them sometimes the content is so deep that you're you're like you're taking lore from so many different franchises so many different properties hold on hold on pause like, hold on pause we're talking about star trek so you got to differentiate between lore and lore <laughs> oh thank you yeah uh yeah yeah nice they're very punny uh the uh you 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 have to take this information from so many different places and you're like a seed from this and you get this recipe for amazing stuff and i don't know i wonder i, I this is one of those things if i was encountering these folks at a con i'd really like to know how they meandered themselves into this how did they drive here in a straight line mapping this out or did they did they get somewhere with it and casually introduce something that they were like no let's do oh wow what if we did this what if we did that you know and that's what the editors are all about so Making the next sure time you really appreciate something it's the writer it's the editors sometimes it's the writers you know pay special attention to that i'll tell you what since we started looking at the i mean when i was a kid i couldn't have cared less about all of the letters pages it drove me crazy you read the letters page. Oh, I'd really like to say that the inking is really good in this page, or the lettering is really good. Or the, the, I don't like the way that you drew him this way, and then you drew him this way over here, or whatever. And it's just like, what is these? What are these people going on and on about? And then now I think about it, and we're seeing the same people over and over and over again. And we follow creative teams, but I'm I'm like the editors. What all? What what books are they all working on? And can we start to see any of their contributions from one book to the next, especially when there's four or five of them sometimes? Is there a pattern to that? Is there a visible, cohesive thing to look at? We would I'm, have to... Be, I'm going to be fascinated to pay attention. We would have to interview multiple editors to even get, like, even grasp on the subject. Because even just talking about editors that handle Star Trek, that's a whole different, that's a whole different beast, animal, whatever you want to call it. You can't just edit Star Trek. You have to know everything. And but as opposed to if you're editing oh. like an Im image book, you, you you can't just. I mean, if 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 you're green and you're just understanding how story works, and you got to wrangle people in and like say this one draws a little bit longer than it should, or this is a wasted panel. Okay, fine. But with Star Trek, uh, there's nothing wasted. Everything is playable. And I, oh yeah, dude, for real. Yes, I think you're right. It's it's a big deal, and I I really appreciate your insight on that because that was something I, I would have because I'm I'm still very new to Star Trek, and guys, you know I do my best when we do our Star Trek simulcasts, but 
I approached it as a writer whether or not I liked the episode, which I, I think I've only seen, I think like maybe just on average, statistically, I should have seen one I didn't like so far. There's been a couple I wasn't so <laughs> so fond of, but I didn't, and, and no way that I hate an episode. And, and just to put it in perspective, there's a bunch of episodes of the X-Files that I hate. Like that were stupid and, and and even even before season six, but Star Trek uh next gen, um where we where we usually kick off at, we'll always do. Yeah. Wow. Let me let me did. make a correction real quick. We don't do any simulcasts. We haven't done that yet. Uh we do uh we just do like commentaries. Watch along. So far we've only done commentary. Yeah, watch along with us and play our play play us talking about what we're seeing, you know. Final cast sounds cool, but we're probably going to save that for something else. Last one I got is Spider-Man number two, Bloodline part two, J.J. Abrams and Henry Abrams, writers, Sarah Pacelli, artist, mm-hmm. uh, Elizabeth uh, D'Amico, inking assistant, Dave Stewart, color artist, DC's Joe Caramagna, letter, Oliver Copio and Dave Stewart, cover artist, Sarah Pacelli, Dave Stewart, variant cover artist, and we've got Kathleen Wisneski, assistant editor, and Niccolo, editor. Um... Wow, I was a little disappointed in this, especially with Pacelli's artwork on this. It 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 is not her. I, it's not bad, but I, I'm wondering if she's trying a different style when they show robot like hybrid human or uh, organic organisms with with mechanisms. They, they 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 look great. I'm wondering if she's experimenting with a different style. And I didn't think that until I was about to say I didn't like it until I realized that she's too good to ever do something bad. She's definitely different, experimenting with a different style. Parker realizes that the boy knows that he's a Spider-Man in lineage, and he reveals himself immediately to a girl. And you know that's a mistake. So there's a lot of tropes that <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, he, he saves a couple of people that Spidey wants to. She convinces him to go out and do some and then that's when cops show up and he's like, oh, we got to get out of here. And he instinctively, for the first time, shoots a web and they go swinging around. And uh, He saves some people. Okay. This was... This should have been deeper. It was, it was, it was meaty, mm. but it was, it, it was just a little bit to lack for. I don't, I don't know if it's, it's the... I don't... It's... It's there. Get in, uh, this is leading towards uh, get it in a in the graphic novel to me because this one's not that interesting. I, I understand that some kids are, and I really hope that some people pick it up, hoping for a nice jumping off point for Spider Man. But this is not going to last. Yeah, this mm-hmm. isn't like mid '90s spectacular Spider Man getting to you know episode, issue fifty or something like that, or even twenty five. I, I don't even see twelve coming out of this. Hmm. But I'm not sh- I'm not cra- I'm not crapping on it. It was just it's there, and hopefully the best part about it is figuring out who the heck the uh, who the hell. No, I can't say heck. I do my best to to not curse. Who the hell the damn? I don't even guy give is. a heck. Okay, I don't friggin' I don't give, give a, a heck. Oh crud, yes. But yeah, that's that's what I got. That's what I was. What the cuss? Super excited about what the cuss? I think that one's funny. What the cuss? Dag uh, nabbit, the, golly jeepers, the, gee willikers. The, the last thing I want to 
uh, focus on is completely different from comics. Is obviously we've been watching AEW. Uh, I've been I've actually watched all three twice. Uh, I've seen all the the dark matches they do uh, AEW Dark, but there's something that just started up that is buzzing with all of my wrestler buddies. We did CSW um, a couple days yesterday actually, and it's gonna be a couple days from when this airs, but. NWA's Power just debuted in YouTube. It's completely free. It's an hour long, and it is almost as good as AEW and it is old school territory. They don't come out to music. Mm. They just they come out to just themselves. They leave the ring and go straight to interviews, just like old schoolness. The it's great technicality. They protect finishes. Have some fun. Uh, I wanted to tell you about this earlier, but I decided to save it for the show. But that's that's all I got for for this episode of Minefield, brother. Oh, yeah. I want to make a quick uh, uh, rundown. We were talking about it earlier in this. Oh, yeah. We were talking about supervillains. We were talking about world powers. So my son, I picked him up today, and uh, he was just on about some books he'd been reading. He wanted to share with me. He was so excited. Now, he knows I love history. And uh, he's reading these graphic novels that he has been checking out at uh, the public library. Nathan Hale's Hazardous Tales. And um, I didn't really get the chance to flip through a bunch of them, but he had a—he had been reading a stack of them. There was one about the uh, there was one about the Doolittle raid. There was one about um, Nathan Hale as a spy in World War. Or I'm sorry, in uh, the Revolution. And there was one about um, uh, the Underground Railroad. And I'm looking. I'm looking at these things, and I'm going, "This is some pretty deep stuff for uh, your kids," but like. He's ten. He's ten. Yeah, for uh, he, for kids to be getting into. But does he get it? The books are really good. Sorry. Does he get it? He gets it. He totally gets it. I couldn't believe the conversation that this all started because he suddenly got this interest in World War One because he's reading, uh, what is it? Nathan Hale's Hazardous Tales, uh, Treaties, Trenches, Blood and Mu- Mud and Blood. Trees, trenches, mud, and blood. And I'm like, that's freaking heavy. World War One is not a fun thing. And um, gosh, I mean, he just wanted to start reflecting on it. He even told me at one point, he was like, I don't like that it depicts these characters, these people, into animals. It turns them into animals so you can more easily tell them all apart. And I was like, they probably do that because they think, Kids are going to respond better to animal characters. But it, then I thought about it a second ago because we, wa- we we then ended up talking about World War One so much that we went in and we were like, let's watch a video about this so we can see more. And they were talking about uniforms and how uniforms had to change because you couldn't just parade around in, you know, colors that made you pop. You had to be wearing right. rough tones to blend in. And uh, therein... Unless you have a phenomenal amount of artistic ability and you're going to say, like, this guy's French and this guy's whatever, the kids can't maybe ascertain the difference between what uniform they're looking at. Or what else do you have to do? So it was like, okay, well, let's make, <coughs> let's make the, the, Soviet, or the Russians bears and let's make the, the Prussians slash Germans eagle and stuff like that, you know? And so it made sense suddenly to see it done that way. He just didn't appreciate it because he kind of felt like it dumbed things down for him. In the end, 
it was amazing because the perspectives were so good. All right, well, who's the protagonist of this story? We are. They're all saying we are. You know? Like, you don't really get that from most stuff. It turned into a very documentary-style book. And then we ended up talking about World War I and how it came to a conclusion. What happened at the end? You know, Germany had to pay everybody to keep paying people. And this went on and on and on and on for 20 years until Hitler. And then he had this moment. My son had a moment where, as a person who everybody knows Hitler is in trouble, he's like, wow, this is the first time I ever thought that Hitler might have been right about something. That what we had this conversation, was it justified to make Germany pay in perpetuity all of the allies for a war that they didn't exactly start? And it was just because they had the money initially, but and then that, they didn't because of the end of the war. And he, that's it, what like, he thought Hitler had me. right was... To not make him pay? That, yeah, that Hitler, Hitler is, you know, they shouldn't be doing this to us. And it's amazing to sometimes look at somebody who's obviously such a crazy person and go, there might be right about something. And, right. Uh, and, I don't know, just for a 10-year-old to look at that and go, it's going to change his perspective on everything. Every person's, pers- person's viewpoint. But Henceforth, does he... Well, they might be right about something, so I shouldn't just abjectly hate what they have to say to me because I know that they're a turd. But does he... Right, but does he realize that that is how he hooked Germany into even starting to believe what he was talking about? Exactly. We had that conversation, and then we wondered. I was like, did Hitler hate the Jews, or did he just think they were an easy target? Because in a dinner... Easy scapegoat. Exactly. Was it because... There was a giant because then he we were like I, he was like I don't think all the Germans hated Jews. And I was like, good. I'm glad you uh, understand that, uh, you know. And I'm like, because they were dentists, they were your shopkeeper, your dentist, your friend, your lawyer. They were people who you knew and you went to school with, or your kids went to school with. You know, not everybody hated them, but suddenly it was dangerous for you to be friends with them. And he started just all this stuff came to him, and he just wrapped it up in his head he got it and of course this book is world war one but we ended up talking about things almost through to the cold war through the end of the cold war because at a certain point he wanted to we were talking about bombers that could i was like well okay so world war one or world war two ended in this way and then i was like but how did it really end and he thought for a second i was like look on the other side of the planet who else were we fighting he was like oh my gosh japan and he was like and you know how that ended, the bombs, right? The nukes. And, he's, and I'm like, that's right. And then suddenly the whole world is concerned about that because then you're not, then you're not allied anymore to the Soviet. And we're talking about bombers. And he started understanding. He's on one side of the table at dinner. And I'm like, okay, so I'm flying my hand over there and that's a bomber coming at you. What can you do? You can shoot it down. But then what if it's missiles? Can you shoot it down? Can you shoot down a thousand? And he's just getting it. He got it. And then he was like, what if there was something that could shoot down the missiles from space? And I was like, they tried it. Reagan did it in the 80s. It's the Strategic Defense Initiative. You know what they called it? What, Daddy? Star Wars. Oh, my gosh. And it's just fascinating seeing things click like that. It's amazing to be a parent. It's amazing. But I loved what this book did to him. And I love that it 
that that it sets up the possibility of hey it's not so cut and dry you know maybe you know what what you know just because of you slavery know, we're all confederates awful people you know we're just because of whatever like wrap your head around it a 360 perspective and starting at 10 fascinating i can't believe the capacity well, of my boy as, for understanding these things and and I, I well i love the fact that we can trust them to know the the, the right things because we mentioned it earlier that you know that it was cut and dry super villain hitler stormtroopers I, I oh yeah what, I, I wonder what he's I, I wonder what sort of american pride he's gonna feel when he's when he is old enough to understand it dude precisely we talked about we talked about nationalism and we talked about propaganda and i was telling him yeah, like if i tell you every morning that america is the greatest blah 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 this that and the other and then he told me about another book that he read and i do not have the title but uh oh it's called playing atari with saddam hussein i was like dude i have got to check that book out because it's the same thing nationalism you know, like, I wonder the same thing. The other side, I don't know how to, you know, I'm going to hold off on saying anything about this, but uh, the, uh, but talking, I, I wonder the same thing. What are any kids in his grade going to feel like about America? Is it going to be a fad or is it going to be a, 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 a movement in the circle for us to be in the state we're in, or is it they're going to be lasting impact? Well, and I hope it. By I the time it, he's a decision lasts. maker, and he's already making decisions, man. He's got friends of all different ethnicities, and it it doesn't even seem like it's it's a thing to him. And that's one of the best parts about when I was raised military is I didn't realize that sort of thing until I, I became a, a civilian and. It hurt, and I, and I hope that he is, well, the civilian part was living off a base that hurt. I'm, I'm talking about, like, yeah. I'm glad he's being, he's being raised right and has different, different cultures of friends and isn't expressing any sort of anything other than interest in learning the past because, you know, you got to know the past to understand the future or to avoid the future. Uh, do you think he is ready for Animal Farm? Um, I bet he would really be able to grasp that. Like, well, I also I mean, wonder if he's ready to be to read Mouse. Uh, I, I he's I think he I think you should give him Mouse right away. That way, it's ingrained uh -huh. in his head, and for him to understand that sort of um, narrative before. Yeah, I I I think he'll get little bits of it. Like, I, I think he'll get it the way we understood. Uh, American Tale. Yeah, man. Mm -hmm. And because there's yeah. there's so much. I remember watching that in high school, and then thinking this is not the movie I remember. But it it's, <laughs> it's, it's still had the 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 great fantastic part of it that I loved as a child. Great animation, but there was so much more to it. And then because I experienced it as a child, watching it in high school made it that much more worthwhile. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it's I dude, we could spend an entire evening re recollecting shows that have a 
different feel when you're an adult. Oh, man, yeah. the stuff that I laugh about now or the stuff that, like, really makes me sad, the stuff that just, like, getting the movie Falling Down. When was the last time you've seen that? The Michael Douglas movie? I watch it every year, and we're not getting into that because it's late. No. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, the stuff that we watched when it came out just because it was there, and then you catch it as an adult, and... Not economically oh viable. Goodness. Yeah, yeah. Man. Anyway, folks, yeah, we should... Uh, I gotta start a new job tomorrow. Um, lots of love to the guys I've been working with. I'll see you guys again. And um, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the staggering amount of responsibility I'm going to take to get my mind off some of the issues that I've been dealing with. And, uh, Kick some ass tomorrow. Trying man. to find... Yeah, yeah. No, I've got, I know what I'm going to be doing, and I'm really excited to be working with uh, my buddy Chris from... Uh, I haven't got to work with in years. He moved away. His family came back. His wife's got a new job. I, I hope it's the best and last job she ever has. And that's uh, uh, just going to be great seeing him working with him so uh like that's really that's the coolest job and um yeah man dude you too have a great work week thank and, you brother uh, we'll get our books and we will uh we'll be ready to do it again yeah so, uh, i'm taking my uh podcasting setup with me and uh hopefully the uh hopefully the bandwidth is good enough in the place where they're putting me up and we uh make it work Okay, well, you minefielders, you MFers, you guys have a great week. Hopefully, uh, we talked about <laughs> some stuff that you might have uh, missed uh, last week and uh, saw on the shelves there at your local comic store. And uh, thanks for tuning in. And uh, this is dangerous. Over and out. All right, take it easy. Bye.